SeatGeek, and you're going to guarantee yourself the best prices even with that sort of uh, game day type of buying as opposed to buying them in, in advance. And because SeatGeek is the only place I ever go to look for tickets to a game or concert, that's, that's, that's kind of how I know. I, I actually use the product here. I have the app on my phone, and it, it's great. It's taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games, and SeatGeek will let you know if the price falls. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. Now, our listeners will get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do to get that $20 rebate is download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code. Enter promo code SLEEPER, S-L-E-E-P-E-R, and then SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code SLEEPER today. Welcome to episode 388 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is September 11th. I'm your host, Paul Spohr, joined by Jason Collette. Jason, how you doing? I, I, the lost episode. I, the, the last time episode. you and I talked, it was brilliant. Yeah. But only you and I are the ones that get to remember what it was. Yeah, yeah. And that was uh, in the midst of some trying um, you know, recording situations that we seem to have uh in, in in under control now thanks to zencaster so last couple episodes been good we're not gonna have a lost episode here okay? the madness and, of it, the madness of it all was that uh you know we didn't change anything on our end you didn't do anything no. i was using the same thing and there's two different and then calls. You, everybody said it you said it sounded like crap somebody tried to fix it and yeah we had two different calls and one sounded perfect and the other one sounded horrendous but the well, horrendous course, one was most of it yeah the perfect one was like eight minutes so we couldn't even fake it as like its own standalone episode. But like I said, hopefully that's all over with. Last couple episodes been good. I know it's opening day of football, but we got to talk some baseball. And you know what? I'm going to start on on a bit of a non-fantasy end because I think it is it will give us a chance to kind of discuss his fantasy ability, uh, so to speak, maybe the rest of the year and, and beyond. But Rich Hill, you know, is a guy that uh, – we spoke pretty positively about it in terms of his skills. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to say we're out there saying, like, you must. And actually, in fact, in fact, I have to say that, and I already you know did my mea culpa on this, I actually jumped off of him before the season got going because of the, uh, the spring training that he had and the fact that he was old and has had control issues before. I'm like, oh, goodness, this is, this is bad. But I quickly pivoted yet again. Um, the second that it was is clear, okay, you know he's back, he's past that spring training business, and Rich Hill looks like he's going to pitch well again. Well, he got a uh, perfect game going yesterday, seven innings deep, eighty nine pitches, and they pulled him. Now I will tell you this, Jason, I was watching that game, and I knew there was almost no chance he was finishing it, but I thought he was going to get to at least through the seventh inning. I thought, I thought he'd get a chance to go through the seventh. Right. What, what did you think of the whole of the whole Rich Hill thing? 
in light of the fact that this blister has really prevented him from being a big impact piece for the Dodgers so far. But when he has pitched, he's been brilliant. So I think they're looking at it saying, you know what? We need this guy. We're going to play it cautious. And I think the front office had a, a bit of a role in it. I'm not saying that as a negative. I just think that they're, they're a unified front there, the front right. office and the dugout. How did you see it? Were you, were you angry like some folks? I, so I hastily tweeted, fire Dave Roberts, right? Okay. But okay. I completely understand. If I were a Dodger fan, that is that was the absolute right move because you're not your odds of doing something in the postseason are significantly greater if he's on the mound. And if really that blister, are. if that blister, if if there truly was a hot spot starting on that, you yank him. Uh, and it's, it's absolutely the right thing. I know there was a, the last time he pitched, Al Leiter did this great thing. on Because Al Leiter was a guy that dealt with Blister a lot of blisters. So yep. He had a great MLB Network segment. I think oh, last I week that. I happened to oh, – you got to go look it up. It was fantastic. He went through it. He was talking about all the stuff that he did, filing it down. He talked about pickle juice. I mean, he did a whole bunch of stuff, and the guys in the broadcast were making fun of it. But I was like, damn, that's a really good segment. Really enjoyed that. So I mean, you know, maybe he can get that done uh, to try to prevent – because nobody wants to face Kershaw and Rich Hill back-to-back. Um, I don't think – but have we even seen – Last, this was the first time we saw it, though, right? This week was the first time those those two had pitched yeah. in the same series. Yeah, and that's the thing. You know, they set this up with with the with the trade deadline to get these two devastating lefties, and they haven't seen it go the one two punch. And even this week, it counts, but it kind of didn't because it wasn't even full on Kershaw just yet. So there's it was almost a taste. It's like okay, here here's here's what we could see, but we're still kind of waiting. Uh, I totally got it, and. You know, I'm sitting there watching. I want to watch a perfect game too, right? That, that, oh yeah, that's fun. That's even better than a no hitter, obviously. But I, I fully, I fully understood it. And my biggest qualm, I guess, was with the people who can't even see it, right? Like they, they, yeah, they can't see the forest cannot, from the trees. Yeah, they cannot fathom why this happened. And and to me, that's where you lose me. Like when, when you're so like, I understand if you don't love it. Right. And you say, I wouldn't have done that. I can't get, I, I, I don't think push come to shove. I can do it. Okay. I fully get that. I'm not saying everyone has to agree with the move, but if you are so blind to like, even see why this is a potentially viable move, man, I, I, I just don't know. I, I think you've got to very clearly, I think, see both sides and say, okay, you know, again, I don't love it, but I get it. If you're on that side. So, I do not envy uh, Dave Roberts and company, though. Hey, when and they, so when they said it, because uh, I was I was watching the broadcast. I was in a hotel lounge. Uh, you know, we were in Ann Arbor, and I was watching uh, the night college football game with uh, whatever. I forgot which. We were watching Tennessee Virginia Tech on in the lounge. There was like seven of us, and then I had I got the alert that the perfect game was going on. So I put my phone up, and we were huddled around the phone listening to it. And then you could hear the broadcast. Like Roberts went down to the tunnel with Hill, and I was thinking, okay, maybe. They're just going to say, okay, the first guy you put on, you're out. But, or, or you're at like 104. We're going to give you a pitch limit because he hasn't, he's barely pitched over the last two months. So well, it's not like you want, you're going to throw him out there for 120. You're not going to let him go do a Johan and, and chase history and throw 134 pitches. That's the thing. I never really thought he was going to finish it. But I think where, where the surprise definitely got me was that they cut it at the seventh. Yeah. Right? I thought he was going to get a chance at the eighth. And what if you go out there and, you, and you're able to get like a seven-pitch inning somehow, right. right? And I don't know if that would have been the case because I feel like even if they're taking strikes, I think they would have run it up higher, you know, knowing that 
he's probably on the cusp. Uh, talking about the Marlins, but th- that's what surprised me was that they jumped it so quickly. But yeah, I, I get it. So let's talk a little bit more about about Hill overall, right? He's had the issues, but when he's pitched, he's been brilliant. Like he's had a really good year overall. We, we're not sure where he's going to be next year, right? Because this is a one-year deal. One-year deal, and I think he'll continue to go year to year. Are you interested in in getting him as like a keeper at all? I mean, I, so I have him my in my local AL league. I paid one uh, single digits, like five dollars or less, somewhere around that, and I have him. And even though he got traded to the NL, if he re-signs with an AL team in the offseason, I get him back. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm like. You yeah, know, I'm, I'm kind of interested. Team. Yeah, I'm kind of interested in him coming back um, at that price. But I mean, let's not forget his his inning total in any one season. His record is this year. Well, no, actually, when well before the I mean recent. Or, I mean, let's go recently, right? But over the last back decade, he <laughs> has just, not. Yikes! Uh, he's, he's eclipsed 100 innings once in the majors. Rich right. Hill has, yeah. right? And so that's another thing too, because you know you see the tweets of like. So and so would never be taken out, and I don't really want to like down on on Jerry Krasnick because I've had interactions with him and they've been all, always positive. Mm-hmm. And I think he actually said that he kind of supported the move, but I don't think a tweet like saying Bob, well, you know, I wonder what Bob Gibson would do in this case. I don't know that that really serves anything because it's not comparable, right? Because you don't even have to go far back to find a guy who would freak out. Jose Fernandez would punch Don Mattingly in the throat if he would have done that. Clayton Kershaw would have punched Dave Roberts. Like, you know, Verlander would be shoving Brad Osmus to go back to... Like, this This happened because of Rich Hill and Rich Hill's blister and his injury history. There are 80 guys in the majors, like not even the studs, who would be allowed to go. The example I use, like Colin McHugh would not have been taken out. This was 1,000% Rich Hill specific, which is another reason that I think I understand it so much, you know? Yes. So, I, I don't know. Interesting, fun to kind of discuss, but only if you're going to really have an open mind about seeing both sides, and I think you got to uh, have to. The, the stuff that I love, and by love I mean absolutely hate, is, oh, he lost the clubhouse, uh, as if you know, as if you have any earthly idea how this is actually going to impact anything. He didn't lose the clubhouse when he took out Ross Stripling on a no-hitter. The clubhouse did not spontaneously combust when superstar A.J. Ellis was traded. So It didn't? I, no, it actually didn't. And yes, they all looked bummed yesterday. You know why? Because literally everyone in that dugout was bummed, including the two guys that had to make the decision, Dave Roberts and Rich Honeycutt, because it'd be fun Rick. to go for a perfect game. And they wanted to do that. It, you know, just, just being bummed doesn't mean that everyone's toast. I personally feel it's over by Tuesday from the player's standpoint. What do you think there? I, I do too. And again, longer term. But when you look at what he's been able to do when he's on the mound since he came back from the you know baseball dead of, of the independent leagues, yeah. when he's on the mound, except for what, maybe one bad start, one or two stink bombs, it's been unbelievable. Yeah. Otherwise, he's been great. So yeah, we like Rich Hill. Going to be interested to see kind of what, what happens the rest of the way. If, you know, if, if he gets a big key start in the playoffs, hopefully that'll tamp down those who were, were really upset. And the, the last bit I'll say is, you know, we always say team game, team game, team game when somebody like Yasiel Puig is selfish for cheering or whatever the heck uh, gets people up in arms. And then you see a total team move here and those very same people who preach team game are now saying, well, give him his chance at history. Well, I you mean, he, when you look at what his, his body of work, 
since he came back. 21 starts, 14 wins, 1.74 ERA, 0.89 whip. That is what monster. he has been. It's been amazing uh, what he's been able to do. And I think, you know, um, obviously this, the spin rate and the curveball, we've heard so much about it. Yep. Uh, and it's been amazing. And the fastball. But I think, you know, for folks that listen to multiple podcasts, if you haven't already listened to the one that uh, Jonah Carey and John Smoltz did last month, I, I finally heard it this morning on the airplane ride home from Michigan. It was phenomenal. And in that, uh, Smoltz is talking about, you know, all the how you know last year the Royals seemed to catch everybody's attention by becoming contact hitters when everybody else was going for power, uh, and you know it was correctly pointed out that the basically the Giants have been doing that for years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to think, but he was wondering like if as everybody's chasing velocity and strikeouts, if some team doesn't go the other way and start trying to find guys that can dial it back and and, and throw ninety and then come in ninety four when you need to instead well, of yeah. trying to gas everybody through it. Maybe Rich Hill's that maybe you know, he's the guy. Uh, Changing that, speeds, spin rates, eye levels, uh, you know, all these yeah. kinds of things. Instead of trying to blow everyone away. Now, he's getting his strikeouts, and I think everybody is – there's a, a good Rich Hill piece out there by just about any writer that you like um, that's out there because everybody's taking a hack at it this year. You can see oh, it. Oh, yeah. It's just a matter of can, you know, can he stay on the mound because you know between the blister issue and uh, just everything else that, is, that has uh, failed him – Again, well, I think we, who did we talk about the in the last episode? We talked about somebody and said, "Look, after 140 innings, it's all gravy from there." Uh, oh, but man, if you're yeah, projecting, I'm trying to think who it was. But I said, "I remember after 140, forget it." But it was—I know this wasn't Rich. It wasn't Rich Hill. It was another guy. But we said, if you if you're thinking more than 140 innings, you're fooling yourself. Yeah, I can't remember who that was. We were talking about. Oh man, it was somebody who was doing well too. I I, I honestly can't remember. Lost episode, y'all. Lost episode. All right, let's talk about some other guys here. That uh, you know, going to be a little bit more on 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 the stage right now in terms of longer term too, right? Because we just don't know with Rich Hill year to year. So I want to talk about a couple guys here that maybe have some keeper capability and another one other veteran. But let's start with Kevin Kiermaier. It's it's the Rays corner here, which we do like to to engage in when we have Jason on. And you know what? They always seem to have someone intriguing. I don't think we usually have to force it and you know start talking doing a deep dive on Logan Morrison. We can actually find guys that are worth talking about. And Kevin Kiermeyer has put himself front and center with really excellent run here, right, to kind of close out his season. He's trying to make good on the fact that he looked like he could be a, a growth candidate. And now over his last 28 days, five homers, six steals, 333, 375, 556, triple slash. I like what I'm seeing out of Kiermaier. I was super, super bummed when he got hurt, Jason. For one, you just don't want uh, you don't want anybody to get hurt. But you, you hate seeing such a great defender off the field. That guy, that guy gives us a highlight uh, every other day, seemingly, right? If not Correct. every day in center field. So that part was a bummer. But also the fact that you know he was he was starting to hit a little bit right when he got hurt. Uh, he got off to a terrible. Uh, correct me if I'm uh, wrong here on the chain. He got off to a really bad start. Got going and then got hurt, but not. And these are both; these are all like small little samples because he was out on May twenty first. So it was like fifteen crummy games and then twenty good ones, and then boom, done. So misses a couple months, comes back, sputters through July, but then pretty much since August, Kevin Kiermaier has been killing it. And then lately, late August and early September, he's been on fire. What's up with Kiermaier as a hitter, and, and what do you think of his long-term now? Because he, he, he could be playing up as a, as a keeper candidate in AL-only leagues. Do you see him that way? Yeah, he could be. I mean, one of the things with him, and I, I've 
written about it uh, over at theprocessreport.net. I mean, for all of his wonderful stuff in the field, he's a flawed offensive player. And really, uh, the way you get for all that speed, he doesn't bunt well. Uh, and he's doing more of that here in the, in the second half. It's not like all of his all of his power is definitely pulling. He can yoke one. I mean, the home run he hit a home run the other day uh, before they won on the road. It almost hit the scoreboard in Tropicana, and that's a bomb when you do that. So he can yoke one uh, when he needs to. Uh, but he's he does use all parts of the field. But for him, the problem is that power. Every now and then, when he flashes it, then he tries to get everything. And if, if he you, does get power happy, Kiermaier. he gets power happy, and and he he can't lay off the high pitch. So the scouting report on him is pitch him high, pitch him high, pitch him high. Now, if you don't get it high enough. He'll get on it, but uh, and if it of late, what I've seen is more of ability. If you get it up and away, he smacks it the other way. If you get it in, he's going to turn and burn on it. Uh, but it's a matter of being able to be selective with the pitches you want to get. Stop chasing the high ones. If you watched uh, today's game or go back and look at the highlight, go look at the the home run that Corey Dickerson hit today off Louis Sessa. I mean, it was a very, very high fastball, way up, and he was like, I'm still hitting it. Not even, maybe it was a cutter. He's like, oh, I'm joking all over this, and he crushed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was well out of the strike zone, but that's the kind of pitch where I've seen Kiermaier hit lazy fly balls with because he won't lay off it, and that's the scouting report. But he does a lot of damage low, and that's his swing um, to that point. So, uh, but we're seeing more of that. And the funny thing is, here now that he's hitting in the two hole. Uh, so if we look at his numbers across the across the season, when he's not hitting in the two hole this year, um, you know the numbers are rather rather pathetic. Uh, and I was looking at this the other day because they basically the Rays put him in the two hole when he came back from the injury um, in early August. So we're talking about five weeks of production here, um, but. The rest of the time that he's been in the lineup, hitting 208, 302, and 381. But since he came back from the injury, uh, the the broken wrist, 299, 364, 489 out of that two hole. Um, when you look at the, the walk rate and the strikeout rate, everything's really the same. Um, now, he is one of the benefits that he's getting up there is he has he's hitting behind Logan Forsythe, who's on base a lot. Uh, and Logan Forsythe, you, know, you got to you, you can't just let him lead off first. You got to keep him there a little bit. So it opens up a little more holes. Um, but if you look at uh, the percentage, Kiermaier is seeing more strikes. Out of that, out of that two hole, but the rest of his skills wise are pretty much the same. His swing rate is the same. His contact rate is the same. Uh, he's actually chasing a few more pitches out of the strike zone, but his swinging strike rate's the same. And so everything is the same. I guess it's just more of uh, the one thing I didn't take a look at is like what types of pitches is he seeing um, in the two hole with somebody on base in front of him versus hitting down in the order where nobody, where you know nobody's on base. And, and we've mm-hmm. talked about this so much uh, in the past how hitting hitting's a lot easier when you have guys on base uh, than you don't because otherwise the pitchers don't worry about anything else there's no distractions but even looking at pitch types he's seeing fewer fastballs um, and he's seeing more secondary stuff with with foresight on base for whatever reason but you know uh, having somebody on base is really helping him. He likes the two hole, uh, and if he can keep hitting like this, then that will that increases his value. Otherwise, if if he uh, is put into those situations where he continually gets himself out chasing those high pitches or trying to uh, trying to pull the outside pitch instead of going the other way with it, um, then it's going to limit his upside. I, I do think. I mean, the skills are there. Um, and, and the overall numbers aren't showing it right now because the I mean the overall numbers on the season um, the counting categories are there but 
again, there's still more growth here, and we're talking about a guy who's uh, wrapping up his third full season, but the 249, the 329, 430 line, the way that stands right now, isn't a lot to get excited on the surface, but I still think there's more potential here. I mean, okay. I, I, I truly think there's a 2020 season here eventually. So if there's 2020 capability for Kiermaier, that obviously speaks to some sort of keeper dumb. He was not a very expensive player this year. He was kind of middling, and depending on what league you might have been in with, with a Kiermaier lover, if it was uh, Colette or myself, you, you might have seen that price, price rise. But I wasn't a lover this year. Okay. I wasn't well, a lover coming into that. I, I, I thought he was too flawed. I so, think I made I think I made the bold prediction at first pitch Arizona that I said you know if he can fix these things the big if I think he's a 300 hitter if he could stop if he could stop chasing the high fastball and he becomes a better bunner and uses all parts of the field I think there's 300 hitter upside and he's hitting 249 because he can't lay off the high pitch and he hasn't beca- he hasn't gotten uh, demonstrably better at bunting uh, mm-hmm. and he's just recently started going the other way and like you said he got off to a horrendous start to the season yeah um, so but again since he's come back he's been a 300 hitter well it's it's not worth i don't think really getting into kiermeyer as a as a mixed league keeper i mean if you've got him at some really really low price okay fine but he was kind of a, like i said a middling pick around kevin pilar this year al only i think is where you're really going to see some potential keep capability is there a certain price tag that you need to feel comfortable keeping kevin kiermeyer in an al only single digits okay any single so nine and below you're going to start entertaining at least the idea of keeping kiermeyer is that right yeah single digits okay. because i really need to see where they're going to hit him in the lineup next year if yeah. they're going to leave him up there and he can continue doing what he's doing right now and shows because I me mean, i looked at the video i was looking at like we talked about brad miller when he had you know when he was going through that big home run barrage and he had another one today uh or yesterday but when you're talking about you know, the whole leg lift and everything kiermeyer if you watch the video from april and watch it today it's the same thing it's just really uh, what i've seen of late with the with the multi-hit games if you pitch him outside, he's going outside. If you pitch him inside, he's turning and burning uh, versus trying to turn and burn everything, If you, especially those change-ups away that fade away. Those are the ones that he was rolling over and hitting the second base. Um, and he's got the speed. If he can hit, if he can slap the ball the other way on the infield, it's going to be a hit more often than not. Okay. All right. So that's where we are on Kiermaier. Let's jump over to the veteran, Hanley Ramirez. Um I had a measure of expectation for him. I wasn't going crazy in the fact that he was first base, you know, really had me not too eager to dive in, right? So it was, it was kind of a guy that, okay, if he's still there, I certainly wasn't running for the hills from Hanley Ramirez, but I also can't sit here and tell you guys I was uh, frothing at the mouth to, to get him. But he's had a pretty quality season, like a, a downright good season, I'll say. 540 plate appearances, 23, excuse me, 22 homers, 93 ribs. 73 runs, 285 average, 357 on base, 483 uh, slugs. So great triple slash. Nine stolen bases, nine for 11. That's nice too. So, you know, he can easily get to double digits here. Just needs one more the rest of the way. Hanley Ramirez, assess. What have you seen? Obviously, as an AL East watcher, you've probably caught a, a decent amount of, of his uh, his game. So what do you think? Uh, really has been impressed in the, here in the second half. He hit a bomb. If you, again, go back and watch the highlights. He hit an absolute moonshot to dead center to, uh, field today in the in the win against Toronto and Rogers awesome. Center. Homer twenty three then. Yeah, it was absolutely destroyed. 
Um, but it, that's what he's been doing a lot of that here in the in the second half, and he looks a lot a lot healthier to play. I've, I've had a few articles that I've read of late uh, talking about some of the changes that he's made. I believe Tim Britton wrote one of them. They're all in my Insta paper, uh, but I have to find it. But right now he's, he's hitting with a lot more power um, in this second half. You can see it when he's you know at the plate, and again it's all fields. It's not just it, early on. A lot of his stuff was the center and right, but you look at right now and he he's hitting the ball with authority and, and just really driving it well, and that's what really stands out with him. So if you watch uh, the play, he looks like a, a very very confident guy at the plate now versus somebody that was you know we, we, if you had him in the first half and you got frustrated on them you're like geez uh you know we got to get cut the bait here but we've got 15 second half home runs where he had eight in the first Ooh. half yeah there's uh, shallow leagues where he got cut because yeah. because he was first baseman corner i totally get that you know i kind of understand shallow leaguers cutting like a brian dozier in may too like he was not oh yeah good. And you got to make moves at some point, so I I, I get it. Uh, even though it's tough to see it now on somebody else's team, I'm gonna hit you. By the way, th- this is surprising. So grab a seat for this. I'm so surprised that Clay Buckholz was terrible and gave up six runs in three innings. That's just so weird to me. Usually he's just such a good pitcher. Um, but no, I, I, quickly on Edwin and Canarsione, who just continues oh, to dominate. Dude, Two that, more that trade was the dumbest thing we did all year. By the way, I know. That was so dumb. I and what, when I say that trade, folks, that's when we traded Encarnacion before the season started. Yes, to get Lorenzo Cain and somebody else, uh, a pitcher. Yes, of some sort. I don't want to talk about it. Like we're sitting uh, yeah. in the middle of the. We pack. always want to own the. We always want to own the guy. We draft him and then we trade him. Yep. yep. This yep. is why we suck. It is. I mean, come just on. listen to us come for on. draft advice. Once the season starts, just stop listening. Just listen to you know. We're just we're just here. We didn't. <laughs> We held firm in trying not to make a preseason trade. And we did. But we saw Edwin Encarnacion and Matt Latos uh, being asked for for Ian Kennedy and Lorenzo Kane. That was it. We loved Kane. Uh, we liked Kennedy. And, and our that's pitching actually was bad. panned out. Yeah. Latos, obviously, a nightmare. Like the trade itself. Not the end of the world. Although Kane's not 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 really lived up, but but Edwin Encarnacion's been amazing. Two more homers today, up to thirty nine. Jason, the second anytime... one should count for three home runs, though. What's that? The second one should have counted for three home runs in and of itself because it was such a moonshot. It was just about in the fifth deck. The dude is unreal, and I feel like every time that you start to worry about him, and not you. Um, so you think about somebody like Edwin Encarnacion, and for those that don't know, the, this is a guy that's like associated with you. You, Corey Schwartz, Matthew Barry, Edwin Encarnacion guys, right? So you don't doubt him. But anytime somebody wants to, right, he'll get off to a cold start or he'll have a, a, a rough streak, whatever the case may be, always turns it around. Always. And he's having another fantastic season that's going to be right on par with what he did last year, if not a little bit better. He just continues to be one of the best power sources the game has. Going to be 34 next year. Is this a guy that you just continue to trust because he has shown no signs of slowing down? Or is your valuation on someone like an Edwin Encarnacion evolving? It's not evolving because it's so damn consistent. I mean, yeah, this, is the so fifth, this is the fifth straight season that his slugging percentage has been above 530. This is the fifth straight season his on-base percentage has been above 350. His He's batting average... Short. Of five straight 100 plus or, or one 104 plus really because he doesn't even he doesn't just do 100 he and his batting average 10. his batting average it, it's variance over the last over the last six seasons 
11 points. I mean, this is almost – this is like the Adam Jones with more power. I mean, we talked about Adam Jones, how he was in that 270 to 277 range, and that is his on-base and his slugging. Everything with Adam Jones always seemed to be in this very small, tight little circle. And then you look at Edwin Encarnacion, it's, now it's getting to the same thing. I mean, he's going to eclipse 40 home runs unless something happens to him tomorrow. And if it oh, does, yeah. I'm sorry, Jays fans, for jinxing this. But his home runs on the low end in the last five seasons, 34, and the high end, 42 – Good shot of him eclipsing that. Again, driving in the runs. The, the runs scored except for the one hiccup in 2014 when he missed some extra time. But as long as he gets his 140 games, he's scoring 90-plus runs because he's driving himself in 35 to 40 times. I mean, this is just consistency, consistency, consistency. And as long as he stays in that ballpark, that's really the only hiccup for me. I mean, I, isn't his deal? Isn't he a free agent here at some point? He and... and uh... Uh, Jose Bautista are both going to be up for for renewal here, or I mean for free agency, I should say. After after this season, right? Yeah, and I that's don't think the they bring that's really the back. only thing for me. That's as long as he stays in the park. If he goes to another park, uh, I'm I'm somewhat concerned. Not he'll stay. The Chris Davis theory. I'm not I'm not freaking out. You know, getting back to the the Chris with a K Davis theory. I'm not freaking out if he goes to another thing because you know, a lot of people hit the panic button on that. Um, yeah. But as long as he can, as long as he can stay DHing in a in a in a friendly ballpark, then you got to mm-hmm. like him continuing to do what he's doing. Just pencil in the thirty five plus home runs, you know, ninety runs, hundred uh, hundred driven in. Just pencil it in because it's been there five straight years. Yeah, it re- it really has. We love Ed- Edwin Encarnacion, and I really have a hard time kind of moving off of that. All right, let's let's uh, talk about a couple young guys here, uh, one pitcher, one hitter, and then get into something that you wrote about over at Rotowire a while ago now, almost a month ago, I think, talking about this middle infield power surge. We're talking about some power guys today with uh, on the corners where you kind of expect it, but there's been a huge surge in the middle infield, which we'll get to in a moment. But first, I want to talk a little bit of Robbie Ray. He's a guy that I- I've been – having trouble jumping in on right every time he is successful i say okay i get it but uh there's just too much hard contact lately though pretty much over the second half he's kind of uh, he's been better right he has not been as prone to the dangerous contact i am still a little suspect but i can't really turn my back on 11.3 strikeouts even in the face of some other some ratio struggles because those strikeouts i mean if you're if you're building your rotation properly you can kind of figure it out um and he had, you know had a 270 era in august this month again though right back up on the era so i i'm left torn on a robbie ray i've never fully bought in this year but uh, again, too difficult to ignore in deeper formats for me. What, what are you seeing on on a Robbie Ray left hander left hander for the Arizona Diamondbacks? Second half of the season, highest strikeout rate of all of all of starting pitchers. All wow. starting pitchers. He is up to thirty four point seven thirty two point seven percent in the second half. Uh, you know, he's the three point eight eight ERA. It, it really it seems like there's been some. Because he's only allowed six home runs. We're talking 58 innings pitch and six home runs. That's not a terrible rate. I just haven't looked at the types of home runs. If they've been like three-run shots, two-run shots, they must be. Because in, you know, he has 80 strikeouts and 20 walks and 58 innings. That's a lot to like. We know that he, you know, he can get the, keep the ball down. That's a good thing with him. I made a trade for him I, I, in, a, in my NL league. I made a trade for him 
with the keeper because I need those strikeouts. I'm trying to chase second place, and I need those strikeouts, and, and he's just doing awesome uh, in that regard. So if we, there's a lot to like here, and if, if he can just get over that hump, but the ratios, the ERA is really the, the tough part, but he's holding guys to a 230 batting average in the second half, 298 wow. on base, 347 slug. It's like that 388 ERA. It's like, where, where did it come from? Help me out here. Why? That, what? What's the stink bomb that's really got him in trouble? I mean, the the, the at Colorado the other day certainly didn't help. Four and a third, five earned runs, and he had another one versus the, versus the Nationals, and then at Milwaukee, um, and he's had some of those games. So I'm looking here in the second half. Well, three zero three five five zero one one two five three. Those are his earned run totals in the second half. Well, and to your point about the homers being really impactful he's got uh one two three three run homers this year one two three four five six six two run shots um i don't know the exact ratios of what you should be getting in terms of solo shots two run shots three run shots and grand slams but anecdotally it looks like he's got a bit more a few more crooked numbers than than I'm, I'm used to seeing when I go through there. But I, I'm not going to declare. I'm, that's not uh, you know set in stone there. One thing I do see, though, is that he continues to allow the hard contact. Even in the midst of this quality work that Robbie Ray's been able to do in the second half, you're still seeing a hard contact rate that is higher than you really like. In fact, I'm looking at it now. It's actually been upped. I, it, was, it was tracking right with his first half one, which is 35%. It's at 39% in the second half. So it's so weird. It seems to be like if I don't strike you out, then you're going to get really good wood on the ball. Mm-hmm. It's like th- those are the only two things. I'm either going to let you smoke it or you're going to swing through it. I, I'm trying to think. I, I, here's the real answer. I need to watch Robbie Ray more. But without watching him more right now, trying to think like what is that what 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 does that pitcher look like like how is it i either strike you out and i get tons of strikeouts or you absolutely club the ball is that just command in the zone where there's like really bad strikes because i mean he's got a good swinging strike rate at 11.4 percent uh walk rate isn't too high it's homers and just bad contact so I'm well think about it think about, about when we were you know if you think about it from a um from a Chris Archer type perspective, not not okay. throwing these two guys in the same in the same boat. But no, Robbie Ray is way better than Chris Archer. Exactly. Um, but if we you know if we think about the pitch type in that type of situation, guys that raise that basically feature the hard stuff that are fastball slider, and that's why I was bringing that comp to mind is Archer's fastball slider and everything else is is a is an afterthought, and that's Ray too. And we've seen Archer where he can be dominant, or he gets hit really hard if he doesn't if yeah. he doesn't locate his pitches. And again. Okay. You're combining you're combining Ray uh, Ray's two primary pitches, and they're ninety percent of what he throws this year. Okay, so it, it it is a command thing, right? And and so we'd have to break you know jump in and kind of look where it's where it's failing, where it's succeeding, and maybe what what goes on when he is really missing spots. But it is as simple as saying that. Now saying that's one thing, fixing it is another. And so my I'm going to homework myself here. Uh, or maybe I'll homework you. You like to break down players for your RotoWire articles. I'm just saying, maybe, maybe that's a candidate for you. But um, you know, it's, again, can I can no longer ignore what Robbie Ray is doing, and he's firmly on my radar. Now I just want to see some improvements on on some of the hard. I'm saying, just saying, he has as many 10 plus strikeout games this year as Noah Syndergaard. Just saying. And again, that just cannot be ignored. You cannot just <laughs> slough that off and say, hey. He's getting lucky. 
You know, again, there, there is some so, good stuff here. So does John Gray. So does Lance McCullers. So does Matt Shoemaker. So does Drew Smiley. I've said this before, by the way, on Robbie Ray. And uh, and I, th- this is Homer. I, I'll admit it. But uh, does the fact that he's pitched like this give – you know, do, do we – do we get off the Dave Dombrowski's back for the Doug Fister trade a little bit? Now, it's not happening on the Tigers team. They've made a different deal to acquire, um, I believe that was a Shane Green and somebody else deal, if right. I recall correctly. But do you look at that and say, oh, maybe we're, we, the whole uh, baseball community, a little, little bit rough on, on Dave Dombrowski there, and maybe he couldn't, maybe. We've always said trades need a little bit of shelf life to become, to become uh, true. Yeah, and so you know Shane. Now you could say, okay, he flipped him for Shane Green then, and maybe he should have just hung on to him if he believed in him because Shane Green's dealt with injuries and just been ineffective at times this year. But uh, I don't know. I look at it and I see the success that Ray's having. I say, hey, seems like Dom, Dave Dombrowski, GM for multiple decades, actually does know more than Twitter eggs. That's weird. I I, 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 I wouldn't have thought that initially, right? <laughs> I would have thought the Twitter eggs knew more. Twitter eggs are are very smart. They're underappreciated. Um, great, I great did. Man. I, I did get. It. I did. Uh, like I said, I, I'm invested here because I did make the trade for Robbie Ray. I'm trying to remember the guy that I gave up. I'm, I'm looking at it. Um, I gave up uh, something. Oh, I gave up uh, Ender Enciarte, who's having a hell of a second half himself. I was going to say uh, he's also surged. And so John Lackey, and a, and, a, and a keepable John Lackey for Robbie Ray and Drew Hutchison had to get had to get my boy. So I have both of those guys. Uh, so that, that I'm trying that to build. Team. I'm trying to build a 2017 staff while chasing. I am completely maxed out in this home league. Uh, I have I have every dollar accounted for in my lineup right now. Uh, trying to chase second place and. I have those. I have those two guys, and they are going well, to be on my staff. And you're looking at what Ivan Nova's been able to do, and you're you're looking your chops, saying, uh, "You know what? Ivan Nova's Seared, a solid son. player. Seared, but, he is doing yeah. it." And you're hoping, listen, Hutchison even has a little bit more talent, I think, raw talent wise than Nova. So if he's done this for Nova, what can he do for Hutch? So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued by he's that. He's got that's, Nova, that's and I have Nova on this same team too. I, I, I actually fab Nova for ten bucks in this in this league. Yeah, Ooh. so I've got Nova, and I've got Hutchison, I've got Ray, uh, I've got Junior Guerra. There's my staff right there. Uh, but yeah, Nova. If you, in case you haven't noticed, uh, what Nova's done done since he's been traded, he's been filthy. You want the numbers? I got him right here. Seven starts of a 2.53 ERA, two complete games, uh, only 6.2 strikeouts. That's not what you're, you were know, like. I never expected a surge in strikeouts, and that's not really what the Pirates do. You don't go to the Pirates and automatically see a surge in strikeouts. What's really helping is the fact that he's not pitching scared. He's not afraid to fill up the zone uh, and not walk anybody. Point four walks, and he's cut a whole homer off of his 1.8 homer per nine rate. So. I didn't see a lot of like pitch mix changes and things like that when I broke down Nova here at Rotographs, but I did I, I see a guy who's unafraid of coming in the zone as much, doesn't have to nibble. Um, Yankee Stadium, I, I think it was you who said it, among others. We said this change of scenery, man. He fit. needed it. Not <laughs> a worse fit of pitcher and ballpark, and it's a lower level version of the AJ Burnett thing. At the time, like that, you couldn't have had a worse fit for AJ Burnett. The way he was pitching, he needed to be somewhere where he could afford to kind of throw it a little bit wildly in the zone and and have a ballpark protect him a little bit more. And, and that's exactly what happened. So yeah, they they do it again, and it happens to be with another Yankee cast off. I wonder when they'll get Gary Sanchez. I'm just kidding. Thirty two uh, strikeouts and two walks since he's been traded. That's filthy. 
and, and, and but we saw i mean we talked about you know getting race seared that's one thing in all seriousness but you know the change of scenery was something absolutely needed to happen and if you think back to uh, it, you know, I made the joke when uh, one of the Pirates writers uh, raised the rally, uh, Jolly Roger. You know, I, he had tweeted out the numbers, and I was like, Sears. And somebody's like, yeah, what happened to Liriano? We're like, well, people stopped chasing his garbage out of the zone. And yeah, yeah, one, yeah. What do you mean what happened? After three yeah. awesome years, now you're saying that that's a bust? I don't think that that – that's not how that works. Like, yeah, they, you know, they they stop basically. They stop chasing this junk out of the zone, and once they st- yep. once they start spitting on his changeup, they're like, oh yeah, that's right. He doesn't have the other pitches, and that's yeah, not the it? case with Nova. We've seen we've seen what Nova can do when he's right. Uh, you know, cutting the home run rate in half, the walk rate is now non-existent, um, and you know, it just like you said, he's filling up the strike zone the way he's the, with everything now, and uh, the change. I think honestly, the change of scenery is the best thing that could have happened to him. It really is, and so I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by how that uh, works going forward with both Nova and Hutchison, who's just kind of getting going. I think he's only had one start. He's slated for another one this week. Let's talk Byron Buxton real quick because he's you know been a polarizing figure at this point. Big-time prospect, nightmare season, really, when you think about it. Even with the surge here in September, it's not going to be enough unless he just somehow goes like multi-hit games the rest of the way. It's not going to be enough to erase the stink of his first 63 games this year, in which he had a 193, 247, 315 triple slash. In September, albeit just nine games, 394, 429, 970, he's actually doing some things. I think he actually uh, had some more hits today. I didn't... The, the numbers I cited do not count that. I don't know if you had a chance to see any of these games for Byron Buxton. Is this just a, well, of course he had to start getting better at some point. Is this just beating up on September you know, pitching September pitching for the Chicago White Sox who, uh, against whom he did most of the damage? More, more than analyzing these nine games, how do you feel about Buxton after this year, right? No matter what he does, I don't know that it's going to change, like I said, change the scope of how you feel. So let's assume he hits fine the rest of the way and gets his OBP up to, or excuse me, his uh, OPS up to like 710, which would be a 30 point improvement. So that'd actually be pretty good. He's at 681 right now. Let's just say 700. And he ends the year there with like a 228 average. How are you feeling about Byron Buxton after this first uh, th- th- this this first year of substantial playtime? Last year was 138 plate appearances. This year it should be about 300. Part of my concern with him is that you know the Twins have a really crappy track record with their folks uh, <laughs> with development. Look- yeah. With everything. I mean, really crappy track. You look at the, how that system – and R.J. Anderson wrote an article about this. Um, I was reading it this morning uh, over at CBS Sports. Uh, but he talked about – well, you looked at all the depth this system had, and you're like, okay, why aren't the Twins winning right now? I mean, they were – this was supposed to be the Jewel system and all these guys, and nothing's happening. But then again, Buxton is still 22 years old. A lot of his age peers are still playing high A baseball. I'm no, we're, we're playing yeah. high A baseball. Now that's over. Uh, so it really, I I would be spending if I was in a dynasty league keeper league, I would be spending all offseason hounding the, his owner to oh, get a move because they've okay, got to be. Like oh yeah, you have to because you know, the ta- you can't quit on the talent. The, all the t- all the sco- all the skills are there. I mean, think about you know last year about the whole Will Myers thing. Everybody's running away from Will Myers. Look what he did. Mm-hmm. You can't quit on the talent in a dynasty league. If you can get him uh, on a, ch- a cheap contract or something, I'm asking the owner. I, I you know, I'm throwing that seventy percent offer out there, seeing if he bites, stepping it up a little bit, maybe a seventy five. You know, see what you could do. The, 
you've got to be upset. You look at it, you're like, okay, we're talking for his entire career. He still doesn't have 400 plate appearances in the major leagues. Still, nope. There's a nope. lot. There's a lot of variance in, in his stats. And yes, they're ugly right now. He's striking out a third of the time. He's barely walking. But he still is a gazelle out there on the bases. Uh, you can still see him go third deck and, and, and uh, target field when he gets a pitch that he can hit, those types of things. So it's going to take a little more time for this to come together. Uh, 2017 may be a little rough. It may be a counting category uh, with a bad batting average. But, again, keeper league, I, this is the year because if you don't do it now, you may not be able to get him at a, at a good rate again. He could be one of those guys that will be sitting in somebody's roster for a while. I, I can hear that, right? And I think uh, Eno and I have said similar things when we've talked about him at, at various times that it's bad, right? You know, I, I can't spin it and tell you, oh, this isn't, this isn't so bad. It's definitely been bad. But we've seen guys be bad before. I think it was uh, – man, I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was Aaron Gleeman who tweeted out recently um, a, a bunch of twin stars and their OPS through age 22, and they were all terrible. I'm talking like Kirby Puckett, Harmon Kilbrew, Tony Oliva – um, can't remember who else. It was it was just like several of their main players. Just just to kind of let you know, it's not saying that he's gonna be these guys, but like, don't get too crazy just yet. I got to see him get to at least six hundred plate appearances before I'm gonna throw out uh, Byron Buxton. I'm with you. Now's the time to buy. Everything was crazy high this year. You know, um, our buddy Chris List was investing. I totally understood why he was investing, saying, give me those shares. They're at a discount now. Well, they're going to be at an even steeper discount this time around, and off-season is the time to do it. So I agree with you on Byron Buxton. Jump in on that off-season. He pulls everything. I mean, you look at his spray chart. It's just scary. He pulls everything. They need to they'll, – they'll, I, I think he'll get some instruction on kind of how to – dial it back a little bit with the pull happiness which will hopefully help the strikeouts and i i think we will see some improvements i still have plenty of hope for byron buxton even if it's not at the peak of where it was coming into this year all right jason let's talk a little bit of middle infield power here this is something you wrote about wrote about all the way back on august 22nd and it's kind of interesting i'm not saying people like stole it from you i'm just saying like i read your piece a couple weeks ago and now recently i'm seeing more pieces on it it's like oh yeah hey Welcome to the train, Jason. Uh, Jason got us on this train a, a couple weeks before. Living you. behind the paywall is kind of crappy at times because the same it, thing happened to the overall you. home run rate. When I talked about it yep. in early May and all of a sudden it was the topic du jour in June. It, it really was. It, this has happened to Jason a couple different times. But uh, you highlighted kind of the obscene surge in middle infielders. What were your findings uh, on the middle infielder power surge? Well, just that we've got at the point at this point, there were 21 middle infielders that had at least 15 home runs. This was, again, August 22nd, and we could have upwards of 40. Now, I haven't pulled the numbers uh, as of this morning, but we have a lot in the thing. And I talked about this. Uh, if you want to listen to another podcast, I was on Baseball HQ's podcast. Um, this past uh, recorded it on Labor Day and it posted Friday. Uh, just a couple of days ago, but we talked about this at length uh, with Patrick Davitt, um, and and you know, slight timeout on this. On the last episode, you and I talked about um, 
doing a podcast at First Pitch Arizona, and we were going to yes. pitch it. We were telling people, hey, hit up the folks at Baseball HQ, tell them you want to do it. And I've actually talked with Patrick about it, and he's on board. Now, it, the issue is is the logistics because you've got to try to get sound quality in a room. They said they tried it a few years ago, uh, and there were some issues, but there's, they're looking into it. So we may have that. So back to it. But one of the things, and I, I think this power is here to stay because if you look at the list of guys, a majority of them are age 28 and younger. So you may think, oh, this is veterans, but no, you look through the list of guys that are doing this, and these are young kids, young kids that are still that are uh, you know getting into their their power prime years. Or so this is not like a bunch of not like a bunch of Ian Kinsler's doing this right now. That guys that may fade off. Uh, we thought Ian Kinsler was going to fade off, and he's back hitting home runs again, kind of like everybody else. And the you know, Starling Marte seems to be the only guy that I can think of that's not hitting home runs this year, where everybody else is uh, not a middle infielder by any means. But um, there's a lot of young kids hitting home runs this year. So I think this is here to stay. Whereas we've always said, get your power from the corners, get your speed from up the middle. Now you're looking at, you're looking at uh, 10 or 12 middle infielders that are 10 home. They're double, double guys, 10 homers, 10 steals, if not more. And uh, we talked about the ridiculousness of Jose Altuve, who had his 22nd home run tonight. Uh, Patrick and I are both in AL town and he goes $43 to Seth Trackman. We're like, Jesus, what, what, how, who, and he's, and guess what Jose Altuve has earned thus far in American League only? Forty-four dollars. I was going to say so twenty-five. He's earning it. So, and that's the kind of. The, but you look at the middle infield production, whereas everybody, you know, you would spend the money on the Jose Altuve, or, or you would spend the money on the 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 Robinson Cano. You would spend the money on, uh, you know. Carlos Correa type of thing. Now you're going to be spending on, on Rudnett Odor. Now you're going to be spending on the boy that you spent so much time talking about, Addison Russell, who hit well, his 20th home run tonight. Exactly. So should all this of make this the, youth. Should this make the studs cheaper now? That those, those headliners that you were talking about, should they come down in price? And if they don't, you say, fine, you guys take them. I recognize that they're good, but let, I will wait and I will pick up the Addison Russells, who, as you mentioned, hit his 20th tonight, has 90 ribbies to go with. I know the batting average isn't good, but love everything that he's doing. Well, we had a lot of guys spike up this year. I mean, we knew Corey Seager was coming. We knew Trevor Story was coming. We knew Russell was going to see more playing time. We saw the growth last year with Odor in the second once he came back up from the minor leagues, and it was night and day. Um, you know, what we didn't count on this year, we didn't count on Brad Miller having his power breakout. Daniel Murphy suddenly becoming uh, a power hitter. We saw Didi, Didi Gregorius jumped into the face. So we had had like this big surge but there's not going to be the surge like if i you know we look at who could possibly be joining this group next year you know i mentioned a couple of guys like tim anderson and De- uh, devin travis I, i'm a huge devin travis guy for next year really like what i see hey, he's right now he's doing it out of the nine hole in that toronto lineup and i think anderson has, has got some ability to him uh to that regard maybe happy by gets somewhere so but i don't see that surge of talent so we're in the last couple of years we've seen the, this kind of this type of power production go from nine to 18 guys and I'm projecting 36 to 38 guys this year with 15 home runs up the middle um, Jason, yeah, there's another the guy short go ahead there's there's another guy who could be doing something like that you mentioned Starling Marte you comped this guy directly to Starling Marte and we've seen so, a power surge pretty much since you since you wrote it you wrote on September 3rd you broke mm-hmm. down Trey Turner 
and he's actually hit a few bombs since then, really showing some, like, I, I tabbed him um, as, as the latest Lindor on Twitter, saying that it's a Lindor comparison in that we really didn't expect the power, and all of a sudden it comes through looking really sharp this year. The fact that he already has uh, eight homers, like, that was not an expectation at all. And I know it's only you know, eight. What, what, what is that? In 53 games. And like Lindor, he came up as a guy who like, was not hitting for power. Eight is his career high. And it was last year that, that uh, Trey Turner said it in triple, double and triple A. So could he be another guy that joins those ranks as, of at least a double-digit home run capability while also maybe popping 35 stolen bases atop the uh, Washington lineup? What, what do you think of uh, Trey Turner joining this throng of, of great talent up the middle. I have multiple thoughts on Trey Turner. Um, let's see. My, I also talked about him at length with Patrick on the podcast. Um, my, my initial thoughts always anger because the Rays oh, traded I, I him. Yep. The Rays traded him to get Steven Sousa when they got him briefly from the Padres. Yeah. Um, this is dumb. It really pissed me off. Uh, Andrew but, Ross. Andrew yeah, Ross. Andrew Just Ross. Just so you know, Andrew yeah, Ross. Yeah. Um, so that's that was the frustrating thing. But no, I, I think I mentioned that there. If you heard me profess my love for Lorenzo Cain last year, that's going to be me for Trey Turner. I'm just telling you now that there's going to be a lot of Trey Turner discussion this offseason for me, and it's all going to be glowing. Um, I Amen. honestly, I honestly. I can see by if I were doing right, I never do positional rankings, but if I were, he's going to be in my top 50 to 60. I just because of the, a full a full season, it. a full season of that speed. And I, and, and the article I wrote, I comped him to Sterling Marte because he was on, you know, if you look at some of what he's doing, he's doing what Marte did earlier and he's doing it better. I mean, he's got the speed and, you know, Marte started hitting a little more power. So I don't know if, if uh, Turner can push the, the 15 to 20 range. He may be a 10 to 15 guy, but a full season of him and Dusty Baker's not going to sit him anymore. I mean, this could be it could be a very special season because he's going to hit for average. I am a big Trey Turner guy. I'm going to end up overdrafting him a few times. Can I can I do this just to salivate? I know it doesn't work this way, and I caution y'all against doing it all the time. But let's just do it for fun, right? Okay, it's nine o'clock on a Sunday evening. Can we just do it for fun and extrapolate what he's done so far over a full season and tell you that it would be 120 runs, 19 triples. Not that those are necessarily fantasy relevant. It's just cool. 25 homers, 92 ribbies, 65 steals, and a 339 average. I'm not saying Trey Turner's ever going to have a season like that, but can I just drool on it for a minute because it's so awesome? What a monster, Jason. I'm with you, man. You and I are going to be fighting over him. We're going to be in first pitch Arizona. You you just mentioned it uh, with Baseball HQ. You better believe in that draft that I always do. I'm going to be trying to get him. I'm I'm going to be jumping. Are you going to take him? Turner. Are you going to take him over Kevin Pillar though? If he's gone with the, in the third round, man, how am I going to get him? Exactly. That's how am I that's get my Kevin concern. Pillar? If I if I were in that draft, I You're may savage, I may take dude. him in a third I round. It. I may take I him in a third it. round. Uh, By the way, I'm I'm a, just a. I, I, every time I watch him, I, I have this this one side of me is like anger. Like, Rays, I hate you. You're really making between that and the fact they keep recalling Dana Evelyn, the pitch on this roster, is oh, really questioning me for dropping them full time. Um, it's just driving me nuts. I honestly have no I, – I cannot figure out what the team is doing these days. Um, you're just going to be a Nats fan now oh, because geez. they have Trey Turner, your, 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 new, your new favorite, and they're a good team. There you go. Yeah, it's easy. It's easy. We got Jason to be – no, I'm just kidding. You're a team, you but yeah, that's the, the Trey Turner, it's – 
I, I can't say enough good things about what I'm seeing uh, of this kid. I mean, this is, again, this is what people thought they were going to get from Buxton. This is what's certainly possible from Buxton as far yeah. as the speed kind of thing. And, uh, again, if people are zigging towards the Trey Turner, go zag and pick up Buxton a lot later and see what happens. Because That's you know, a good it, call, too. That's a good call, too. Or, you know, um, on the other end, if you miss Marte, get Turner a little bit later. You know, it's, a, it's, a same, it's like the sliding scale. Like, how rich are you between Marte, Turner, and Buxton? How much do you want to invest in that kind of player profile? But I'm with you, fully in on Trey Turner. Fact is, he also plays quality defense. That speed certainly helps him make up for it. But quality defender. And second base outfield eligibility, too. I like it, too. Yeah, I like that a lot. So, all right, Jason. Uh, that's going to go ahead and do it for us here on this uh, on this very special day. Obviously, nine eleven. Um, I know you're going to watch some more football probably this evening, but at least you didn't have to deal with your Redskins. Are they going to be any good this year? Uh, I, I I'm predicting the eight and eight. Um, okay, and I think that's what the the football one of those advanced. Football I don't outsiders. do advanced. I'm open to it, but I don't go seeking it out. Like when they put pro football focuses stuff on like the tv which nbc i think has been because what i heard on twitter it's just on twitter yeah i, I saw it on the thing they're like hey this is all but, our broadcast we're gonna when we mentioned this this is how they rank there i was like well good for yeah them. Co- collinsworth i think actually has a stake in that company so maybe he influenced them to say hey let's put this on here it's just kind of like fitting in some next level stuff without jamming it down their throat but anyway i know for those of you who've been listening for a while you know jason and i are gonna throw a little sprinkle a little football in at the end we'll do it at the end so if you're that upset about it you can just kind of curb it uh but well, i'm gonna let you go we'll be back next week you good for next week uh yes no, i am no travels Excellent. no travels we'll, we'll be back next week jason have a good one take care all right you too man